Soldiers of the Eerie Dynasty, how dare you invade this clearing? This belongs to the Marquise de Cat. We have come to reclaim our ancestors' land. We have roosted here for generations. It is ours. Hey, uh, hey, I'm just, I'm just a guy. Anybody have a teapot? Teapot for sale? I'll help you, like, build a house. Anybody? Teapot? Anybody? Ah, screw this. I'm gonna go explore the ruins. <laughs> the Woodland Alliance now owns this clearing. Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm Jacob, joined today by Greg. Hello. And we will be reviewing Root. But first, let's talk about what we've been playing. Sort of. Yeah. We're going to do a little bit of a deeper dive this time. We've mm-hmm. been playing Gloomhaven on streams every Friday. Yep. Most Fridays. Yeah. And we have thoughts. We do have thoughts. So we had a scenario last Friday, which was yet again a scenario that we played at level three. Mm-hmm. Our, our sort of average party level had risen high enough that the scenario level went up from two to three. Yep. This is about the third or fourth time I think that's happened. Yep. And we got our asses kicked. Whooped Which like is crazy. about the third or fourth time that's happened. Pretty much every time that we've gotten to level three in terms of the, the scenario level and uh, the level that monster's going to be, we have gone right back down because at least one or two of our characters have died. Right. Or And or retired, like, barely surviving. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, it sort of just raises the question of, like, are we doing something wrong? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know what it is about... I mean, obviously, the enemies are harder. Mm-hmm. There's not any more of them. Yeah. They just sort of hit a little bit harder. They have more health. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I guess it feels like we're not scaling appropriately. But then the question is, is that our problem? Or yeah. is that something about the game? And I, I don't know. I mean, like, I think it's also interesting because like, currently we were pretty spread out with like our lowest level being at three and our highest level being at six. True. That didn't help, certainly. But at other times, like, because I think the first time that we got into this kind of situation, we were all almost tied in level. Yeah. I, we had done a pretty good job, especially the first time around. Yeah. We had done a really good job of staying even. Yeah. And so it's just like, it's also, I wonder... Since we are playing permadeath rules and slightly modified permadeath, where it's like if you die in the scenario, you die there, but if you exhaust, you are able to run away. So I'm also curious about how that affects it. Yeah. I mean, I do kind of wonder. The other thing, though, is that it's not as brutal yeah. as the rules as written permadeath rules, mm-hmm. yeah. which makes me think, you know, if we're having trouble, what is happening to those people? Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah. I, I guess. I mean, for me, one of the things that I've been struggling with is that leveling up is nice because you get the extra perks, yeah. which are really useful, and you get access to newer, more powerful abilities. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that you don't strictly gain those abilities yeah. because your hand size doesn't increase. You mm-hmm. just have more options, and you can argue that your sort of average power has gone up, but because you're only getting one new card at each level you know, you're sort of only becoming more powerful in specific situations. Yeah. Which, I don't know. I mean, I guess I just feel like maybe you should have a hand size increase, given how much of the game is exhaustion management. Yeah, and and I think that the, the biggest reason for that is also just the fact that the monsters do more damage 
and therefore you are more likely to actually be losing your cards in order to prevent your damage. Right, exactly. So like your your cards, even though you're you're getting higher in level, a lot of times they're not going as far as they would like at a lower level because you have to, you know, lose them much more often. Right. And so you definitely are getting more powerful. And I know that like my character has definitely certain cards that like, yeah, like at this level I'm getting pretty damn good but at the same time that's not enough to like win the scenario even like the the cards that i had for this one were almost perfect or ideal for the scenario where i was doing a lot of damage to multiple different creatures and that was unblockable so it could go through shields it could do all this kind of stuff and i was doing that consistently and it wasn't enough to get us even close to winning yeah we've unlocked the power of enchantment yeah which sort of that's another kind of natural like suggestion for like mm-hmm. oh this is how you can shore that up but we haven't been able to buy one did we have one i have one. Oh, you have one okay well in william's case he's been spending a lot on equipment yeah but for me i've just never had enough money to buy an enchantment they're so time, expensive yeah, yeah. yeah it seems like the the money scaling is is slightly outpaced by the level scaling right and i don't think that like you know where, where we have good reputation gloomhaven that kind of stuff that scales down the money that you need for items but it doesn't scale down the money that you need for for enchantments and that kind of stuff. Right. And in general, like it's just it almost seems like you should be like you know either leveling more slowly or getting an extra something for leveling. Right. Because it's just uh, yeah, make, I definitely don't think that it should be that you gain an extra card every level. That's a bit too much. Right. Like in terms of hand size. Yeah. But like every three levels or something like that, like, you know, level three, six and nine to get an extra hand card. Yeah, that makes sense. Like that would make sense to me. It, it seems like that kind of stuff is definitely like it's supposed to show the the progression of a character to have a higher capability. But it's almost like, you know, saying, you know, oh, you can have a bigger glass cannon now. Right. Yeah, and, and, you know, maybe part of that's due to the classes that we're playing. You know, you, Plague Herald, obviously very squishy. I'm playing mm-hmm. the Scoundrel, relatively squishy. Even the Cleric, or the Sunkeeper, now that William is playing, mm-hmm. is not, I mean, it's not a tank. Yeah. It's a healer, which helps. It yeah. goes a long way. You know, but it's not a tank. So maybe some of it's that. Maybe when I re-roll, the Cragheart's a little tankier. But even then, I, apart from the Brute, mm-hmm. I don't think we've encountered a character that actually could be called a dedicated tank. Yeah, I don't think so. Also, spoilers for multiple classes that uh, oh, yeah, if, you, yeah. if you haven't unlocked them. Sorry. Sorry. You don't know too much about them. Yeah. <laughs> Just their names. Just their names. Yeah, but so I, I don't know. And it's it's sort of frustrating. You know what I mean? Yeah. It definitely is because it's just like you feel like you want to get ahead and you feel like you want to level up really quickly, but it almost feels like we shouldn't be concentrating as much on the XP and we should be concentrating a lot more on the money. I do think that's actually a big part of like what has gotten us in this predicament mm-hmm. i think we've all sort of overemphasized yeah experience i think that that's definitely the case i think that we've gone in and like really really we're just like let's level up i want to do these cool things cool abilities cool that this that, that but it's funny it's like right now uh, i was never one to like you know gain experience at a very very quick rate right but now my new cards all have experience gain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, so. it's, yeah, because there's some element where, like, you just can't play cards and not gain experience. Yeah. But I think there were definitely times where I made a decision specifically because it gave oh, me yeah. more experience. For sure. For sure. So maybe just sort of taking a step back from doing that and controlling the rate at which we level a little better. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's the solution. 
Yeah, maybe controlling that, going for more, just gaining money so we can get enchantments, like having that as our goal rather than getting more levels, like improving what we've currently got. Yeah. And then going from there, that might be a, a, a better idea, a better way to go about it. Yeah. We'll play around with it, I guess. Tune in mm-hmm. Friday to see if we settle on a solution that actually works. Yeah, exactly. And there you have it. That's a quick look into Gloomhaven, uh, one of the games that we've been playing lately. So here we go. Time for our review of Root. We've been talking a lot about Root over the last couple of days. Uh, mm-hmm. Root is the new asymmetrical territory control game from Leader Games. I apologize mm-hmm. if you're listening. Uh, I'm very, very sorry for screwing up your name. Also, hi. A quick shout out to Will Wheaton if you are listening. I know that you got one of our shirts through Amanda and had mentioned that you were really interested in Root. So I hope you'll enjoy the review. Well, yeah. So Root is the new one from them. They're the creators of Vasta Crystal Caverns. Yeah. And this is a territory control game in which you pick one of four factions in the base game. There's a current expansion out with two more factions Mm -hmm. and a a forthcoming expansion with two more factions. And you duke it out. You have completely asymmetrical goals. You know, one faction might be trying to uh, control the most simultaneous territory. Another might simply look to control territory as a means to acquiring more resources, which is how they get their victory points. It's really sort of a a grab bag of different abilities. And that's, I think, where a lot of the compelling gameplay comes from. But first, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's talk about actually how this game works. So as Greg mentioned, this game is very, very asymmetrical. So the mechanics that we're going to talk about right now are just the base mechanics that are pretty much the same for every faction that are just how the game is played. Uh, each of the factions also has some additional like quirks and some rule breaks and for different kinds of things, which we will discuss when we start discussing the different factions. Right. So the first one that Greg had alluded to already is control. And it is control of the clearings, which are on this map that has pretty much just clearings, like some forest areas and paths between the clearings. Each of the clearings is denoted by one affiliation or suit. And these are either foxes, mice, or rabbits. And that matters for effects that that work with the cards, which also have the same suits, as well as an extra suit, the birds, which are wild for the most part. Control in this game is determined by a plurality of pieces. So that includes both your little warrior figures, as well as the buildings that you have in there in a clearing. And this has to be a plurality. So, you know, if you have three figures in there, so you have two warriors in a building in there, while someone else has two warriors or two other people have two warriors, whatever it is, you still have the plurality. You control that clearing. Now, control is very important, especially for movement. Yes. And the way movement is done in this game is that you can move any of your pieces out of a clearing that you control or into a clearing that you control. If you do not have a clearing that you control on either end of where you want to move, you cannot move your pieces. Right. So control, very important. You sort of have to bring in outside forces or add new forces to the map in one of those places in order to be able to move your troops around. Mm Mm-hmm. In addition to movement, the way that you sort of exert control over clearings is battling. So when you battle, you choose one enemy faction that you're attacking. So Mm -hmm. if I'm present and there are two enemies, I can only attack one of them at a time. I am the aggressor. I roll two dice. 
which are modified D12s. They have what I believe is called a non-ordinal distribution. Yep. So they have uh, zeros, ones, twos, and threes. Mm -hmm. And I roll both of those dice. I take the higher number, and the defender takes the lower number, and we simultaneously inflict casualties on each other equal to the number we've been assigned. As long as it's only up to the number of warriors that you have in that clearing. Exactly. So casualties are going to be relatively low, they're going to be relatively consistent, and there is going to generally be an advantage to the attacker. But there is some element of chance, you know, you could roll double zeros and not actually get anything. Yep. Or, you know, roll over the number of troops that you have and sort of suffer more of a blowback than you were expecting. But uh, fundamentally, that's how combat works. And eventually, if you remove enough enemy troops, you can rule a clearing. Yep, exactly. Another main mechanic for the game is related to the cards. So each player is going to have cards in their hand from the main deck. And this deck is composed of cards of four different suits and a few different types. The types of cards that you can have are ambush cards, which help you in battle. Pretty much if you're a defender, you can use an ambush card to whittle down the attackers because, well, they fell into your ambush. And then you also have ability cards, pretty much. And these are the cards that allow you to have like these ongoing abilities or maybe one-time abilities that you craft them and put them pretty much to the side of your, your player area. And they either have a passive effect or an effect that triggers at some point during your turn or an effect that you can use once. And these can also have some immediate effects, removing different enemy pieces, things like that. And then the last type of card is the item card. Right. And item cards are pretty much cards that give you points for building items. They interact a lot with the Vagabond character, which mm -hmm. we'll discuss a little bit later. The game is played with each player taking turns, which are split into the birdsong phase, which is the very morning phase. Then you've got your daylight phase, you know, main day. And then you've got your evening phase, you know, the end of the day. So once a player goes through everything, they will pass to, to the next player on the left and just keep going around. Right. The phases are actually pretty interesting because uh, some people have a much more powerful birdsong phase. So they do a lot of stuff in the morning and they do that kind of stuff. And they like not as much middle of the turn and maybe only one thing at night, like just refreshing some things. Yeah, it's completely non-standardized. You can't even go so far as to say, you know, most factions will move and yeah. attack during daylight because it's all over the place. You know, some factions do the bulk of their attacking at night. Other factions, as yeah. Jacob mentions, in the morning. So it really mm -hmm. just depends on your faction, but the core sort of phases of birdsong, daylight, and evening are always the same. Exactly. And the other type of thing that is uh, in common for all the factions is how you win, pretty much. So you win by getting to 30 points. Yep. That is the base. You are trying to get to 30 points. Each faction has a different way of getting to those 30 points. But that's the end goal. Yep. Additionally, there is one other trick that up your sleeve that you can do, and those are the dominance cards. So there are four of them in each deck, and these can be claimed by any player once they have over 10 victory points. And what they are are a completely separate victory condition, so it's not in addition to the 30 points. So if you play a dominance card, you replace your 30-point victory condition with the victory condition of controlling a certain number of clearings based on what card it is. So it could be three mouse clearings, it can be three fox clearings, 
whatever it is. Right. And that's a permanent change. Once you've activated a dominance card, you cannot at any point go back to the victory point track. So Mm -hmm. you really have to make sure that you're confident in that strategy. Yeah. And it is not just like at the end of your turn. It's at the beginning of the next turn. So it always gives the other players around to react to you having met that condition. Exactly. And that's basically all of the common mechanics that there are. You've got the clearings and moving and battling in them. You've got cards that you're playing, crafting, items that you're acquiring, and then victory points. Everything else is faction-specific. Exactly. So let's go through some of the factions. We'll start with the base game factions, and these are the Eerie, the Woodland Alliance, uh, Marquise de Cat, and the Vagabond. Right. So first one, the Eerie, they are the dynasty that is trying to regain control of the of the forest. They're a very almost bureaucratic, very type, bureaucratic. type faction where you're pretty much using a programming mechanic mm-hmm. where you start with you know two different actions that you have to take each turn and then you have to add at least one action to that each round and this is an action that you will have to take each turn in the clearing of the type that you put the card in there before and if you're not able to do any one of those you will then fall into turmoil lose some points lose your turn pretty much So it's got a really interesting balancing act because you are almost like trying to get everything working and like get all of your abilities out. But then at the same time, you're worried about like, you know, every turn you're adding one thing, adding one thing, adding one thing. It's like, what if I can't do this? Like, you know, if I don't have enough pieces to recruit, I can't recruit. Right. Or like, you know, if I don't control that clearing where I have to build or something like that, then, well, I can't build. Or if there are no more clearings that I have to build in. Right. It's a really fascinating faction. It's one of the first that I ever heard about. Yeah. Um, our friend Camilla, actually, she pointed out that one of the reasons she really loves the game is because that faction in particular has such a great fusion of form and function. Yeah. You know, not only are you using this program mechanic, but that also reflects sort of the hidebound structure of this decaying mm-hmm. empire. And so there's there's a really nice symmetry there. It appealed to to both her and I. Yeah. Other factions, uh, you've got the Woodland Alliance. Mm -hmm. These are sort of the gorillas, G-U-E-R. Not not literal gorillas. It's forest, not a jungle. Yeah, they're actually little mice. And their primary mechanic involves generating sympathy Mm -hmm. in places. So this involves placing a token in a clearing, and then any time an opposing force moves into that clearing or stamps it out, like Mm -hmm. removes that token... You get to draw cards. So it's this really effective engine that can punish other people for trying to deal with you. And then you can use sympathy in places where it exists to, you know, suddenly emerge. You can remove all of your opponent's forces in that clearing. Or all of any, all opponent forces. So like, you can have three different factions of that that have like huge armies in there. And then all of a sudden you're there and boom, they're all gone. Right. And then you've got your troops there and you're sort of, it's all about mobility, flexibility, Mm -hmm. and responsiveness for the Woodland Alliance. And another fun part about them is that, well, as you would expect, all of their operations are actually done at night in the right. in, in the evening phase. So just like, you know, they're going at night and like attacking, moving through the, 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 the forest and they don't actually have a lot of pieces. So they're, they're very much a like, you know, targeted almost team where it's just like it has to go in here in order to maybe defend something and then they'll be gone or something like that and like they go between officers and other things and you can also spend some of your warriors to organize the populace and gain more sympathy yeah so 
there's definitely a lot of fun stuff there. It's the faction that I played the most at the moment. Uh, and I really do like it a lot. Yeah, they're really cool. The next faction is Marquise de Cat. And Marquise de Cat is pretty much the current ruler of this whole forest area. Yep, pretty um, much. They start with pretty much having at least one troop in every clearing other than the one directly diagonally across from them, which is usually where the Eerie start. Yeah. Their whole thing is that they're a big industrialist power. So they are trying to have sawmills that then like can build buildings and that's how they get victory points. Yep. All about building buildings. Yep. They just want to put as many buildings out there as possible. They also have a keep, which is a completely pretty much protected area where no one can spawn and just getting in there to attack that keep really feels like you're going in there to attack a keep because like, you know, you've already got a lot of things in there and then you're like trying to like move your guys up like into this like oncoming battle. Yeah. Oh, it's very intense. It is definitely like, it's probably the hardest place to take out of all of them. Definitely. And they are the most numerous of the factions. They have the most pieces. They are just going everywhere. Additionally, the cool part is that they, in the expansion, have a mechanical version. Yeah, there's like an Atoma, basically. Yeah, so it's like it can be, you can play with against the Marquis if you have the expansion, even without a player being there. Final faction in the base game is the Vagabond, and it's sort of a misnomer to call it a faction. It's a guy. Yep. Um, you're you're just a dude moving around. The Vagabond has the unique ability to enter the forests in mm-hmm. between clearings. Yep. And your goal is to sort of move around, exploring ruins, performing tasks for the townsfolk. Uh, mm-hmm. You can make alliances with the major powers, or you can become enemies with the major powers. Yep. And so deciding who you're going to ally with, who you're going to oppose, that's a big part of successfully playing the Vagabond mm-hmm. because you get points for sort of either end of the spectrum. Yeah. But if you hover around the middle too long, you're going to miss out on some of that point generation. So it's kind of a dance, and it mm-hmm. really requires you to assess where you're at. Becoming hostile with a faction is almost a one-way trip yeah once you're hostile there's only one way and only in a game of four or more players Mm -hmm. to become not hostile with that faction so you really have to make sure that if you're going to oppose somebody you're committing to that decision but you also have to make sure that you're being sort of flexible and saying maybe i'm just going to go over here and do some quests and get points that way so Mm -hmm. i'd say of the four base factions they just have the most paths yeah. that they can take to victory. I'd say the Woodland Alliance is probably the most flexible since they mm-hmm. start with like no pieces on the board. Yeah, they can do whatever they want. Right. But I, that's the base game factions. Yeah, and I think the Vagabond itself, like it's interesting because like it interacts with the items as well. Like, you know, you get to take and, and like help people by taking some of their items and that, uh, giving them a card, but at the same time that helps you. And then you also have like these quests that you're trying to complete to get other points and you also have different personas that determine your, a special ability that you have as well as what items you start with. Right. And most of your actions are based on the items that you have, so that that's where that matters. It's also, I mean, the Vagabond definitely isn't an army, but with the amount that he, of damage that he can do, <laughs> um, he's definitely one skilled son of a gun. Yeah, this is like, this is your RPG protagonist. Like yeah. you're single-handedly taking out armies of, you know, Eerie or Marquis soldiers. So, exactly. Yeah, the Vagabond's pretty fun. Mm-hmm. And then the expansion that's out now, the Riverfolk expansion, adds two new factions. Uh, mm-hmm. The Riverfolk Company, yep. which is very mercantile. They have 
assets that they can make available for purchase Mm -hmm. by any other player at the table, which then other players purchase that by committing troops Mm -hmm. to the Riverfolk company. And so there's this sort of dance of, you know, they acquire the troops, they use the troops to generate commerce or Mm -hmm. uh, sort of enforce their protection racket in certain places. (laughs) And then they try to leverage that into a victory. And then there's the lizard folk cult or the lizard cult rather who are similar to the Woodland Alliance in that they're sort of subversive, Mm -hmm. but they're not really looking to gain sympathy. They're just kind of trying to spread the cult. Right. Yeah. They're going to perform rituals, which sometimes involve sacrifices Yep. and they're going to take over the joint. Mm -hmm. So they have a really interesting mechanic where if one of their buildings exists in a clearing, they rule that clearing. Doesn't Doesn't matter matter the number of pieces they rule that clearing. Mm. So they have sort of the whole sycophantic followers, that kind of thing. Exactly. They have this sort of insidious influence. So, um, (laughs) the way that those two factions sort of interact with the base game, I think is pretty interesting. And then independently, I think they, they're just fairly well crafted as well. Plus you mentioned the expansion also includes the mechanical marquees. Is that what it's called? Yep. As well as another vagabond. So you can play with, uh, up to, I believe, six people currently is is, is the max. And uh, you can play with two Vagabonds. And, and they do have like a whole list of which combinations they recommend. And I also think that it's really cool because it adds a cooperative mode and almost like a semi-cooperative mode. Whereas like you 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 have the Automa and like you can add that a little bit to, to give another challenge, another player, and just also try to like beat it with everyone. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a cool little, cool little thing. So that's all the different factions, sort of the core gameplay elements. Overall, though, I think the game feels really great. I mean, I don't yeah. know. I've, I've kind of been hinting at that this whole time, right? But I think the game does a really good job of balancing each of the factions mm-hmm. without making them fundamentally identical. Yeah. Um, I would say that no faction feels overpowered because each faction has things that it's good at and things that it is sort of lacking or is bad at. You know, the Woodland Alliance, they probably have one of the most potent abilities in the entire game Mm -hmm. with what's he called Uprising, where they can just completely remove every piece that isn't theirs from a clearing, Mm -hmm. replace it with their base and some of their pieces. But they have relatively very, very few pieces, which means they're Mm -hmm. not able to exert force in multiple areas simultaneously. So it's it's a balancing act. And I think it's one that the game pulls off very well. Yeah, I agree. I think that each each of the factions really does feel very different, but none of them feel like underpowered. Definitely some of them are more complex than others. Oh, yeah. I mean, as much as they say that the Eerie is, they, they claim that it is a, a simple <laughs> like uh, faction. It is not a simple faction. It is probably one of the harder ones to get your brain around because of the fact that you can go into turmoil. Right. Like, yeah, it's 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 easy enough to, like, be able to get all these, like, larger actions and all that kind of stuff. But then, you know, you lose an entire turn and, like, points and all that kind of stuff when you go into turmoil. And you have to plan, like, about, like, four or five turns ahead at least. And just, like, and one little thing can, uh, can like, mess up your entire right. game plan. Yeah, it can really throw a wrench in their gears. I think one of the sort of standouts of the game is that each faction, in addition to having, you know, completely different goals... You approach each faction very differently. Yeah. I think that's the way that this game is most similar to Vast, mm-hmm. later's previous game, where you've got multiple different characters, essentially. Yeah. And each of them is 
completely different in terms of playstyle. So, you know, to bring it back to Root, if you want to go more of an RPG questing around style, you've got the bag- Vagabond. If you want to go Brute Force, you've got the Eerie or the Marquise. Yeah. If you want to be sort of the neutral arbiter, you yeah. can go the Riverfolk Company. So the mm-hmm. fact that they have opportunities for basically to accommodate different play styles at a single table, yeah, I think is really cool. I agree. I think it's, it's pretty awesome. I also think that another really cool aspect of it is just that they learn so much from Vast in terms of uh, the fact that like Vast was really, really hard to get your mind around because everyone was completely different, completely different goals, completely different everything. Whereas here, it's just like, you can tell much more easily who's in the lead. Yeah. Like, oh, they've got 25 points. I've got 18. They're in the lead. Yeah. Like, you know, that's it's easy to tell that and it's easy to figure out, like, you know, each faction really only has one base way of getting points. The Eerie having their roosts out and each turn they get points for depending on how many they've got out. The Woodland Alliance, whenever they put out sympathy, they get points. The Otterfolk Traders, they get points for putting out the trading posts. The Marquis get points whenever they put out a building. So all of these are very static and they're, they're like one way that they get points. So if you see someone surging ahead, that's what you got to block. Right. Yeah, it's, you know, having a single sort of medium Mm-hmm. to fall back on and like a single benchmark really helps sort of accessibility and comprehension mm-hmm. for new players. That said, there's still a learning curve, especially yeah. depending on which faction you play, but it's definitely gentler yeah. than Vast. Yeah, so that I think brings us to No Game is Perfect. Yeah, it's a nice segue. We're sort of on a downswing. Yep. The first thing that I'll say for No Game is Perfect is that depending on the faction, you have to have the other players at the table buy into what your faction is doing yeah sometimes literally exactly (laughs) so i was playing the autofolk at one point and nobody was buying for me and i think i ended the game with about five points right because the autofolk in order to get points needed to have their uh, trading posts out but in order to put their trading posts out they had to get other people's currency pretty much in and i couldn't even craft to get points because i needed to have my trading post out because that's how i crafted right so it was just like if no one was buying from me i was screwed yeah. Yeah, um, there's definitely some factions that are more susceptible to that than mm-hmm. others. I mean, you know, the the Marquise de Cat, she's going to do what she's going to do. You yeah. know, she's going to chop down wood and build buildings with it. Doesn't really matter who gets in her way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the river folk, to a lesser extent, the vagabond, I would argue even the Woodland Alliance, if nobody's mm-hmm. sort of triggering your sympathy. Yeah. Those are much more dependent on other people doing the things that you need them to do. Yeah, exactly. So that definitely is uh, something to be aware of, especially like you know when choosing the factions and which ones are going to be played. Right. The other thing, this is a game that scales not super great uh, yeah. with the number of players. So the base game, obviously, there's only four factions. It only plays up to four. I think four is sort of a sweet spot. Yeah, I'd three say to three four. to four. Yeah. Once you add the expansion, you can go up to maximum six players. Don't. <laughs> Don't. Yeah, in a word. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's too cumbersome, you know, because the map doesn't expand. Mm-hmm. So you've got more people fighting for the same amount of space. The turns take forever. Yeah. Everybody's trying to interact with everybody else. And by the time it gets back to their turn, you know, the board state has changed. It might as well be a completely different game Yeah. by the much. time you get another turn. So I think four is the sweet spot mm-hmm. with this game. 
probably hover around there. And to their credit, that is typically what the rules advise in terms of like the yeah. recommended setups. Like they have yep. sort of recommended faction groupings. Yeah. So having more than four players really, especially depending on the factions that you get, can take forever. The Lizard Folk especially. <laughs> they, they, they can they can take a while to go yeah and it, it just gets really difficult to balance everything the last one that we wanted to just touch on was a learning curve which we talked about previously even if it's a better than vast it's still pretty high learning curve because you can't even have someone at the table who has played one of the factions be like yeah this is exactly how your faction works no each one is different you have to learn them yourself pretty much and Unless someone has like played this a ton, it's a little bit difficult to get that all together. Right. But as far as the overall rating goes, we do have a rating scale that we fall back on. Quick refresher that goes from skip it, play it, buy it. There are a few outliers. We've got burn it at the very lowest, never should have been invented rating. And then at the absolute highest rating, we've got top shelf. Mm -hmm. I'm comfortable giving this a buy it, especially for the base game. I think, again, at four players, it's really solid. The asymmetry feels very satisfying. You know, you're all competing for the same goal, but you're not competing in parallel. You're sort of competing at your own thing and just trying to finagle it almost, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is, is really great. I think it's just incredible artwork. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's not something that we've mentioned, but Kyle Farron, the artist, does an absolutely fantastic job of capturing sort of this cutesy woodland animals but also like sometimes they're really genuinely sinister yeah and it's just it's super great and super fun and reinforces i think the whole feel Mm -hmm. of the game and yeah i mean it's it's a buy it for me i'll also give it a buy it i think that this is a game that uh, i definitely enjoy i do think that it is a game that you have to play with more of your gamer ish side friends no i go that than like new people like this probably is not the game that you you bring to a play your first board game night kind of thing. No, this is the one that like you know people already know a bit of you know how to strategize, how to use these different types of mechanics, whether it's the uh, programming, whether it's that kind of stuff. Uh, you really have to almost be familiar with those mechanics before you start playing it. But when you do, I really do like the different factions, the asymmetry of it, just how the game feels and how it feels balanced. Where it's like, even we were playing the solo mode recently, and as we were playing, we were just like, oh no, like, you know, the, the either, either the thing's running away or it's like, it's going really slow with the heck. And then, like, you know, it jumped up real quick, like with the points, and we're like, oh God, like, we now have to, like, do this, 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 and this. And, like, even then, like, we, we ended the game within one point of the, the automa, pretty much. Yeah. Oh, it was really tight. So, in general, I think that that is really cool. And then the dominance cards would give you that those alternate victory conditions also provide a way for people who are especially like being left behind to still be in the game. I definitely think both of those are very positive. So, I've enjoyed the game. Definitely a buy it for me. And now, let's talk about a few games that we think are similar or similar feeling to Root. So, the first one that I wanted to mention was Inish. Inish is a game where you are playing, you know, your faction, you're trying to control territory, explore, and you still have multiple different ways of uh, winning the game. And similar to Root, it's the kind of thing where it's a race to get one of these victory conditions. So Root is the 30 points. Inish could be control of the citadels, control of the territories, number of people, things like that. 
So it has a similar kind of like, you know, race-ish feel, but at the same time, you're, you're really interacting a lot with the players that you have around you and uh, competing for these conditions. Right. Another game that we feel is very similar is A Distant Plane. I think we mentioned before that Kathleen, our friend from Labyrinth Games, has yeah. called this a coin series game with animals. Yeah, a cute coin series game, I think it was. And so A Distant Plane seems perfect. That's the coin series game that takes place in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And you have a lot of the same sort of hallmarks. Asymmetrical gameplay, territory control. You're going for objectives in that case rather than points. Mm-hmm. Well, your objectives are represented by points, but everybody's on a completely different scale. Yeah. So if you like Root and you want something that's more crunchy, particularly if you're, you know, sort of a history or a military buff, but even if you don't, just looking for something that's more mechanically complex and gives you a little bit more modeling mm-hmm. of some of these conflicts, check out a distant plane. Yeah, pretty much if you want to trade foxes for, you know, foxholes and that kind of stuff. Hey, there it is. So, yeah, definitely definitely check that out. Inish, I think, would be comparable in terms of weight to root. Yeah, I'd say that. A distant plane, not as much. It is definitely a much, much heavier game. So if you want something that goes for, you know, four or five hours rather than one and a half, you can check out a distant plane. Yeah, absolutely. And there you have it. That's our review of root. Thank you for joining us for our review of Root. We hope that you enjoyed it. Thank you, as always, to all of our supporters on Patreon and also on Twitch. We really appreciate your support. We couldn't do this without you. You keep Jacob in microphones and headsets. So, uh, <laughs> True. But yeah, big shout out in particular to our Greater Worms on Patreon. Uh, that is Sam, Carissa, Casey, Hunter, and Meg. Your generosity is absolutely touching. And... Huge thank you to our tier three supporter on Twitch, Adam Krausberg. Like, yeah, it's amazing. As always, yeah. I do this every week, but well, every you're a rock week. star. Yeah, no, you're uh, you're a rock star, buddy. While you're uh, cruised around on the internet or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, head over to washingcon.com. You can get your tickets for the not so early bird price of fifty dollars for an adult weekend pass or twenty dollars for a child. And if you act quickly, you can use the promo code Dragon. D-R-A-G-O-N to get an additional 10% off your order. Washington.com, check it out. Prices go up at the end of June, so act, you know, relatively quickly. Yeah, exactly. And tune in next time for another episode of Dragon's Demise. <laughs>